Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from the Etel East Trade Show in Boston on Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and unfortunately, Scott was unable to join us today, so I'm solo, but we've made up for it with a great guest. Uh, on the show today, please welcome Amanda Tollison. She's the Chief Customer Officer at Birchbox. Amanda just finished a keynote here. I know you mainly came to talk to us on the podcast. Mainly, obviously. Yeah, but super generous of you to also. They squeezed me in, you know, to talk in the con. Exactly, which I think was wise of them (laughs) um, because it seems like the audience really loved it. Um, And the topic was attracting a customer who's inherently not looking for you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but before we do, um, I imagine most of our listeners are somewhat familiar with Birchbox, but in my experience, people don't always have the exact right perception about your business model. So can you kind of give us the, the updated elevator pitch? Absolutely. And you're very right. People usually know one thing about us, but not the full story. So Birchbox is a beauty and grooming retailer. I'm really focusing on, um, a new way of discovering, beauty and grooming. So really discovery at the focus of our business model, but still we have the full purchase model. Um, so you can actually buy full-size products from us as well as beauty and grooming. As I said, we're probably best known for beauty, um, but we have grooming as well. Um, so what we're best known for is the subscription box, right? Kind of kicking off the subscription box economy, which is taken over the world <laughs> in some ways. You, you guys are sort of the birch box of birch box. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. We were just talking about on the stage how we get a lot of fun uh, free press where it's like, and the birch box of blank just launched. Um, whether it's socks or as they said on stage, sex toys or marijuana, you get some fun ones in there um, for sure. So there's some like pros and cons to that, but we, to- we definitely kind of kickstarted that industry to become a thing. So we're best known for that, but we're definitely not in the business of just building a subscription box company. We're in the business of it being a way, a better way to discover beauty in particular, because beauty is so overwhelming. The internet, so many options on the internet and um, an easy way to explore and discover products is to have a personalized set of products. So you fill out a profile, personalized set of products gets sent to you every month. You can discover them in the ease of your home, beauty or grooming. And then we have an easy path to purchase where we have anything that you get from us in your sample box. You can then purchase for full size on our website um, to complete that path. And then we also have um, focused on some on physical retail. So we've had a physical retail store of our own in New York. And as we'll get into, we have a partnership that's really focused on that. Um, And at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is create an experience for the casual beauty consumer. So this is a consumer that – that really is not served by the industry. Beauty is not their top interest. They don't want to spend a lot of time. They want something to be easy, efficient, delightful, exciting. Um, so I'll stop there as you ask more questions. But that's kind of the genesis of Birchbox is, is serving that consumer in a better way. Awesome. And like today, all of these, these subscription discovery boxes and different things like sound like kind of common, but you guys are nine years old (laughs) um, and it was a completely foreign concept when you first launched. So I'm just curious if, um, I know you haven't been there for all nine years. Um, You're far too young, but the, um, if you know, like what was the origin story? Was that like a super scientific evaluation of a gap or a 
Yeah, so I actually do know it, even though I know, as I am so young in my teenage years. Yes. Um, it's hard to imagine, but I was in business school at the same time as the co-founders. Um, so they're two of my best friends from business school, um, and I was their marketing friend as they were like launching the idea, exploring it. So I actually do have insight. <laughs> so really, it was a, a mix of things. There's kind of the, I'd say, more the business um, the business insight story and then the personal insight story. So the business insight story is when we were in business school, there's a lot of um, – a lot of industries that were having, you're seeing massive growth in the penetration of online shopping um, happening. So clothing, et cetera, right? And what they noticed was beauty's not having that. It was not having that growth in online. It was that others were. And the question was kind of why? Why was that not happening? So the insight there being, well, because a key part of discovering beauty is sampling. It's trying the products, right? So if I'm just picking from images online, how do I know if that foundation is going to work with me? How do I even know what a serum is, right? I, I, there's a huge part, a critical part of the shopping and experience for beauty that was missing in the way it was set up for all, like kind of copying the way other online retailers for other industries were doing it. It had to be something new and different and innovative. Um, unless it was just for um, replenishment, which is basically what it was at the time. It was only replenishment shopping for beauty. So instead of discovery shopping. Um, and then the personal insight was just like who, you know, that they are the two co-founders, Haley and Katya, are not the, this beauty obsessed customer. They're not. They weren't like obsessed with beauty industry. Wanted to get in it. It was more that um, they had a friend, um, Molly, who's the th- the third co-founder, first employee of Birchbox, uh-huh. who worked at um, a magazine, and she basically had access to a sample closet, and she would send samples to Haley, one of the co-founders, at business school with the note that was like, "Oh, I saw this. I thought you'd like it. This is why I thought uh-huh. you'd like it." And that, so those, that like personal experience of like, well, this is a great way to discover beauty. Basically someone slightly more knowledgeable than me who knows me well enough to send me products that I trust and I'm willing to try, even if it's something I've literally never heard of in my life. Um, so that's kind of like, that, that was an amazing experience. Like, okay, can we combine that insight of a, a true human experience that was beneficial with this industry insight of why the hell is, you know, can I say hell on this? Sorry. Heck yes, yes. Right. So, we'll, we'll mark it as an explicit okay. show on iTunes. Okay. okay. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> exactly. You're kind of risque. Yeah. We don't uh, get to mark very many. Yeah. <laughs> so the kids, the kids won't get my insights. I guess. No. It's Too bad. Um, so combining that with the industry insight, that's that's how it was born with those two fortuitous things happening at the same time. Very cool. So she was getting Birchbox before there was Birchbox. Exactly. Like kind of part of the experience before it, and then like it was kind of how do you. How do you grow it? How do you make this, you know, instead of a one-to-one, right? So we have like an algorithm, for example, that takes your profile. And like, how do you scale it to be, you know, millions of people who can have that same personal touch experience? Yeah. My next question was going to be, why isn't Katrina a South Korean influencer? But now yeah. <laughs> now I totally understand. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Um, now, you are the chief customer officer at Birchbox, um, which is a... Uh, I'll call it an emerging title. Yeah, very emerging. Um, so what what does a chief customer officer – is it a better paid chief marketing officer or <laughs> – Could be. That'd be yeah. I'll take that back as a to-do on yeah. my to-do list for conversation. Yeah, add that to your KPIs. Um, so really it's something I've seen happening a lot in D2C, so direct-to-consumer businesses, where um, at the heart of the insight is about a consumer. It's about a consumer need and ultimately – the whole business needs to be focused on that consumer and building an experience for that consumer. It can't be marketing is thinking about, oh, here's a customer we want to target, and then the rest of the company is not involved in that, right? The best marketing, the best way to engage a consumer is to create a product for them that's really resonant, 
you know, fills, fulfills their needs, and then we talk about it. Um, so it's really to make it, it was really to elevate that concept of like we we as a company are focused on this casual beauty consumer, casual beauty and grooming consumer. The entire company, every single function, in some way needs to know about that, understand it, and needs to incorporate it in their day-to-day decisions of what they're doing, um, and that it's a core part of our strategy rather than a marketing tactic, let's say. Awesome. Um, that makes total sense, uh, and it should clearly be paid uh, better mean, yes. than a CMO. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with being a CMO. Uh, we have plenty that are our friends. Um, <laughs> the last question, and you you maybe gave us a little hint already, but how did you come to this role? What was your uh, pre-Birchbox experience? Yeah, so pre-Birchbox, I was on the consulting side. So this is my first quote-unquote you know, client-side yeah. job. I still sometimes refer to it. Congratulations on escaping. Yeah. As, a, <laughs> as a current consultant, I, uh, people like you give me hope. Yes. Yeah. So I, I kind of had a mix of jobs in brand consulting and customer research. So um, did a lot of work around what does your brand stand for? Who's your target customer? How do you take your brand equity, extend it into new lines of business um, from all different all different types of industries and companies? And um, ended up, I love that. I still, you know, I could totally end up going back to that. Cause I like that the intellectual diversity, let's say of kind of those different problems, which you probably get, you know, talking sure. to all different types of people and companies is really interesting, but had this, you know, urge to see like, how do you follow it through all the way through to the execution? And what does that feel like? And so, um, ended up jumping into Birchbox, really not. And I am very much a casual beauty consumer, not because I was looking for a beauty company job by any means. Um, but I think when you're moving to something new in a startup, the biggest, to me, the biggest hurdle is do I trust the leadership? Because even if it's a great idea, if you don't have great leaders and you don't have good decision makers, then it basically doesn't matter. So I knew, obviously, Katya and Haley from business school. So it gave me great confidence to jump in and have kind of, I started as the director of brand marketing. And then I moved up to CMO um, over time. And then, as I said, took on this job now, chief customer officer, where I'm over the marketing team still, but I'm also over our experience team, which is digital product, creative content and community, which is like social, as well as the engineering team. Very cool. Um, So that is awesome. And then, as I I mentioned up front, uh, your topic today was attracting a customer who's inherently not looking for you. (laughs) Um, So I'm dying to find out. uh, I'm teasing. I already heard it. So I know (laughs) I know what you were talking about. But I'd love for you to share with our audience kind of what the the key points were. But I, I will start by pointing out like you up front, you have to admit there's someone in the world that's not inherently looking for yeah. you, which shockingly, like some companies struggle with that that realization. But. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, I mean, as this focus on this casual beauty consumer, something we have to admit to ourselves is that they're not the, they're, it's not the thing they're most interested in their lives about. That's in, that's the, in, definitionally who they are. They are not the beauty obsessed. They are, there's the beauty obsessed with most of the beauty industry focuses on, which makes sense because they're hyper engaged, hyper users that are, it's their hobby, it's their passion. They're going to spend way more per, per person, but they're really only maybe 15 to 20% of the total people engaging with beauty. And then there's this huge white space of people, which we call the casual beauty consumer, which is about 70%. We've done a market segmentation. Um, and they're, it's not like, so what, some people get confused when I say this. We're not going after beauty enga- unengaged people, right? That's yeah. another 10% you know, or something on the bottom that they're not, they're literally like, give me my soap and that's it. Don't talk to me about it. <laughs> We're not trying to push a boulder up the hill, sure. but we are trying to change perceptions of can the industry be for me, right? We're trying to overcome this customer, mostly when they've engaged with a beauty experience. So they've gone into a beauty retailer or they've seen a beauty influencer, let's say, on Instagram, they felt like, this is clearly not for me. This was clearly not designed for me as a consumer, 
which is okay. Maybe I'll like run in that store and try to find something, but I don't, I didn't enjoy it. It, it, You know, it's not what for me. And so the concept that a beauty experience could be designed for them is foreign. It's something we have to overcome. It's this barrier up front that we have to get over. And we have to think a lot about how do we look and sound different from other beauty retailers in our advertising so that they will pause and look at our Instagram ad uh, when most of the time they're not going to look at it. Or in the influencers, for example, we don't work with beauty influencers, even though that's counterintuitive as a beauty company because our customers are not following beauty influencers. They're following lifestyle influencers or food influencers. And so those people can talk. You know, They already have the loyalty and they can say, hey – Beauty, you know, I'm, beauty is not my top priority either, but I found some interesting stuff via Birchbox that really improved my life. And then it's just about being where they are, which is we can get into like the kind of yeah. partnership with Walgreens, but it's just like what we found, um, once they find out that it, we exist and who it's for, people love it. Our best customers are the customers who were not, again, were this casual beauty consumer. And after they've been with Birchbox, they write us letters and say, oh my gosh, I can't. I, I never thought a company could be for me in beauty. I discovered these products. I've never heard of a serum. I've never heard of dry shampoo, but they've completely changed my routine in this amazing way. Um, But we have to get, for us, it's that hurdle of getting over, just like getting them to stop long enough, to pause long enough to, to believe that this experience could be designed for them. Awesome. So you've perfectly framed a kind of daunting marketing challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you solve that marketing challenge? What were you talking about today that was a clever tactic yeah. in that way? So one is just is the um, be- still a huge portion of beauty is offline. So we are we've been online for most of our. Wait, there's an offline. There's, no, I'm, there's I'm something teasing. called offline. I'm it's a new guy. I'm totally. <laughs> it's very new. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, and online, a lot of it is like you have to drive the traffic to your website, right? So that's, you know, I have to like get an ad or for sure, like a huge way is just like consumers like you, they talk to their consumers. But there's something that's very active that needs to happen to come to your experience Uh, versus the one power of offline is just there's a passivity about it. Either they see you in a store window walking by and they stop in or, for example, just being in a place people already are shopping, our consumers already shopping for beauty. So in thinking about that, we um, have partnered with Walgreens where for sure the casual beauty consumer, and we've seen this in lots of our studies, like is shopping drugstore brands, right? They're shopping at the drugstore for their um, beauty. And if we can have a space right there that feels comfortable and welcoming and inviting and um, replicates all the amazing parts of the experience that we have online physically, it it's an immediate overcoming of that barrier that we have of getting attention because they're there, right? And they it's interesting and they're going to go check it out. Very cool. And so this is a sort of exciting new thing that you've that's live now. Yes. That you have an experience inside a handful of Walgreens to start. Eleven. We started with six uh, last December, and we just opened five more. Got you. And uh, I know there's one in my hometown of Chicago. Yes. Um, are other big cities that listeners could find one? Yes, we're in New York and Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco. Perfect. So you, you've got a, a bunch of the big metropolitans covered. And what is the experience going to be when I walk in the store? What am I going to see different than a traditional Walgreens? Yeah. So um, a couple of things we focused on. We're making sure that um, it felt something new, right? Both new, but also um, a, a self-aware of the space it was in. So by new, I mean, how can we bring the Birchbox brand to life in this space? So we thought about what are the things that are most important in the experience for our consumer that they love about our subscription box or our online website. Um, so things like it feeling warm and welcoming and 
not intimidating to this consumer. So even in the design of the space, um, thinking about the colors we use, being bright and friendly, um, lots of woods. We use a lot of home elements like wallpaper and like the tiles that, you know, the backsplash on your kitchen. We use that element in part of our design just to make it. And we've heard that we've had, we've kind of done some intercepts in the store and people feel like, yeah, this feels warm. This feels friendly. This feels welcoming. Um, but also making sure that it felt, um, it wasn't cut off from the west of the Walgreens store. So it's, we're not trying to create this a store-in-store feeling in the sense that, oh, I'm walking out of a Walgreens into a Birchbox, as much as Walgreens and Birchbox are together presenting this experience. That is, you can very easily you know, shop across both. For us, we have prestige brands um, that we're able to bring into the store for Walgreens. And then also, we definitely expect the casual consumer to still be filling her basket with the more drugstore brands. Um, so making sure it felt like there was a nice flow. Uh, and a key part of that too, is there's a beauty consultant that um, we're only in stores that are the, what's called their beauty differentiator stores. So Walgreens has invested a lot in this beauty strategy too. It's key for them. And they've trained in these 3000 stores, they've trained beauty consultants to really help you with your needs. So, and the beauty consultants work across both um, our, our area as well as the um, rest of the beauty Nice. And if I understand this at Walgreens, uh, that experience is much more of a sales assisted experience. So they have a, a salesperson with a uh, specific training and subject matter expertise, and you're much more likely to get help and advice than you would in a mainline Walgreens store, for example. Yes, yeah. So this isn't, yeah, that they have specifically trained beauty consultants that only work in the beauty department. Perfect. Um, and so we train them on our brands, they're trained on others. So it's a very different, and they had introduced that. I think a couple of years before our partnership with us. So they'd already been on that journey and um, we will, we were able to enhance that experience by coming together. Awesome. So I'm going to put some pictures of this experience from my Chicago store on your, in our show notes. Um, but uh, so a shopper walks in the Walgreens, uh, they're going to see this, this premium space that has a different feel, but still organically feels like part of the, the same shopping experience. Um, and is it going to be strongly branded Birchbox? Is it co-branded? It's definitely strongly branded Birchbox. Okay. Um, so you know that you're, it's a Birchbox environment, but again, feels very fluid between the two. And then we have some, I'm really trying to bring to life. So there's kind of the design of what I talked about, but also yep. the actual, I said, what you're engaging with in the space yep. to replicate the Birchbox experience. So how do you bring, for example, the surprise and delight of the subscription experience to a physical store? So we have something called the Build Your Own Birchbox, BYOB, yeah. or Cheeky. Which is often disappointing when someone finds <laughs> yeah. out that it doesn't Some mean customers, you, you know, can't get have liquored up in the Walgreens. Yeah. It's, you know, um, so, but the idea there is that you're able to um, pick, you know, we have a sample, we have samples and you get to pick and make your own Birchbox, you know, sure. with five to six samples. So you can take home experience that. It's a way for us to start a conversation about what the subscription box is there for. Um, we focus a lot on having indie brands be a part of the experience that you're discovering, indie prestige brands versus, say, really well-known brands because, again, that discovery, that delight, the thing that I would never have found on my own is a key part of it. So that's a key part. And then in the full-size shopping experience, really focus on how – and we had learned this actually in our um, in our own store that we had launched and brought it to this was – how does a consumer actually want to shop physically? How do you make it as easy and intuitive as it is in the box or on our website to discover products? So let's take um, let's take a cleanser, for example. So most beauty retailers, the way they categorize things is by brand. So if I want a cleanser or an eyeliner, I'm going to have to go to like 20 different locations, look at all of the different. I don't – the only thing I know about the difference is that there's this – it's brand X versus brand Y. 
how do I know what's right for me? So the way we set up our merchandising was by having it categorized more, I'd say, intuitively to the consumer, right? But when a cleanser, I go to the cleanser section, and then we have, um, let's kind of think of it like a jeans wall. I'm trying to try to visual since we don't have pictures, where you have then a column going down, which might be cleansers, and then you have horizontal going across, which will say like detox or moisturize, right, or acne prone. You know, what what are the ways that we can help a consumer make a more informed decision about what could work for them rather than putting on the onus on them to have to know a lot of things about the beauty industry to make a decision. Perfect. So you've you've sort of assorted things by use case or problem rather than by brand, which I know the early days of cosmetics like in the department store, the only way to shop brand was counter, by brand. Right. And so it's almost like you had to get some kind of education before you could even know what you were looking for. And, and, a, and it prevented discovery, right? Like we actually yeah. find a lot, our casual beauty consumer, if she before she finds us, she, it's like my mom used Clinique and therefore I use Clinique. Sure. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Clinique's a great brand, but you don't, you don't know how to explore something else. You don't even know where to start. You're just like, I'm just going to stick with Clinique because that's what I know. Sure. Um, so in this section, I can make my own box and then am I paying for that one box and walking out with it and I essentially bought some samples or have I actually subscribed to Birchbox and the one I take with me is just my first box? We hope it's the latter, but okay. we have both options. Okay. But it's definitely basically an intro selling tool. So the one is just to like how it's a fun experience. We found we've used this in just events in general that people love it. It's like candy. People will line up to do this. For sure. So it's it's kind of an it's an enticing experience to get people even into the space, but we definitely try if someone's interested to upsell them and say, "Hey, if you like this, you can get this box for free if you sign up for a 3-month subscription." For us, obviously, the goal is definitely to try to convert into subscriptions, but you can also for an up price, we we charge you more per box if you do just one. Sure. Um, but you can just walk away with the box of samples. Perfect. So, I can buy a box of samples, I can subscribe, which uh, as far as I know, is sort of a new thing from Walgreens. Walgreens hasn't had a lot of like subscriptions no. and replenishment service outside yep. of actual prescriptions. Yep. Um, so that's super interesting. And then I assume I can also shop and buy the full size product. Um, and this is an interesting part of the partnership to me. You're bringing a bunch of um, aspirational, um, independent prestige brands that historically might not be willing, like wouldn't be willing to sell on the the shelf in Walgreens. So you're giving Walgreens access to some aspirational product that they might not otherwise have. Yeah, definitely a big part of, you know, I think in any great strategic partnership, you want to make sure that you're bringing equal value to the table um, and you're so- equally solving a big business challenge for the other. So right, I think Birchbox brings to the table for Walgreens is innovation, right? Challenging innovation. It's this subscription experience. It's nine years of focus on this casual beauty consumer, which as a, you know, they've had that, they've been going after them too, but they're, they're more than beauty, right? They have so many, so many things they're selling, whereas we're so laser focused on knowing that consumer. Um, And then for sure our relation, our our existing relationships and trust we have with our prestige brand partners is a big part of it. And for them, obviously they bring us scale. um, They bring us amazing physical retail experience that we don't have. um, And that just like being in the place, they have the casual consumer, the casual consumer is there because they have a lot of locations. So, having that. Um, so yeah, for sure a big but, um, a big focus for Walgreens and for us is like bringing in great brands so that it feels like a full beauty destination. And the point is not that it's going to shift all to be this type, this indie prestige brand. That's not the idea. It's that we believe that this casual consumer and like the experience they're going to want is to shop for both their more indie prestige for whatever reason, if there's a need or a brand or product they like, as well as their drugstore brands and have it be a seamless experience across that. They can shop 
right? For example, in our the, we do have a you know a checkout in our space, but it's not a Birchbox only checkout. It's just there to facilitate the experience if you want that, but you could buy other beauty brands that are in the drugstore section, more kind of Walgreens section if you want. You can buy your toilet paper there. Right? It's not, it's meant to feel integrated um, to bring them together and just say there's there's more options in beauty to explore and having all of that available to the Walgreens customer is definitely um, a big part of their strategy. Awesome. And so I can totally fill my prescription, make a custom box and get some diapers and yep. go pay for all of it at mm-hmm. the the front cash register at, at the Walgreens, um, which is cool. So is like, obviously you're getting access to all the, the organic foot traffic that Walgreens normally gets um, because you're, you're bringing something elevated to the Walgreens experience. Are they marketing you guys at all? Or are you doing any joint marketing? Are you doing any, any, any campaigns outside the store to drive people to these stores? Yes, definitely. They're very excited. You know, both of us are very excited about the partnership and think it's something interesting and new. Um, so we're both talking there for in the locations and the areas where we are, we're talking to, we're talking to our customers that are there. They're talking to their customers are there. Um, we did big launch events for the stores to make sure like in the cities, people are aware of it happening. Um, we've also d- have done dabbled with some, um, digital advertising okay. for it. So like trying to drive people in the store via digital advertising. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of focus on how are we getting, not just converting who's there, yep. um, but also how are we getting new consumers in? I'd say in two different ways. There's um, one thing we definitely look at is are we getting people who've shopped at that Walgreens before but have never even engaged in the beauty category, which we're definitely seeing like move it on, right? So like how are we getting them engaged in beauty? And then just, for example, our subscribers who may not have gone to that Walgreens, right, getting them into the store. Got it. And so um, beyond that digital marketing is, like, if I go to any of your own digital experiences or Walgreens' own digital, like, is there, like, can I find out which yes. stores have the Birchbox experience? Yes. And- so ours, we definitely have, um, you know, a location where it's retail locations. So you can find out where we are as well as we actually do have a small digital. Um, there is, like, if you look, if you just, like, Google Wal- Birchbox Walgreens, the most likely the Walgreens site will come up where they talk about where we are. But we do have a small um, digital shopping experience, too. So it's actually omni-channel with Walgreens. Um, so you can buy. There's like a birch box. There's a birch box section on the Walgreens website oh. as well. That is a, you can similar everything I just talked about physically. You can see in the digital with a different, look, slightly different look and feel, um, a little more elevated, a little more information, and you can just check out again. Similar to the same as the offline, the online, you can check out with a full basket with other things from um, from their other beauty sections or, or you know toilet paper. Um, and have it shipped to you. So it's it's not as big yet. We're, the focus has been on the um, physical, but we definitely have that too. Yep. Um, and uh, the super advanced question, so don't feel bad if, you, if, uh, if we're not at like 10th degree black belt yet. Yeah. But um, uh, you now, associated with Birchbox, have some uh, services, right? And so you, uh, and we'll talk about this more in just a sec, but like you can do things like trade a box and do things like that. Um, can you... Do those like omni-channel experiences inside of the Birchbox locations? Like, could I do a return, for example, if I got a full-size item? Or uh, no, you could not. Yeah, yep. if you bought one from our website, you couldn't return it yep. to the Walgreens. But probably right if you now. bought it at the Walgreens, you yes, could definitely. It. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of their separate experiences in that. But if you buy a subscription, you really flow into kind of the Birchbox subscription experience. And but we have talked a lot about how do we think about what is valuable in the intersection of the subscription and um, Walgreens. So. An example, something that we haven't launched out, but we could have your box delivered to the Walgreens yeah. instead of your house if you wanted, right? That could be an option. So, um, or you could, because um, we have customizations that we said we're talking about a little bit is a big part of our experience. Um, 
for people who live close to one of these Walgreens, you could say the way to customize your box that month could be to go in and do build your own box in the Walgreens. So we definitely are having a lot of conversations on how how do we create value by the fact that right there's definitely the, like the full size shopping and the like getting a new consumer in our world, but in trying to marry the subscription experience with the the Walgreens and how thinking about how we create the value there. It's there. But we just we don't want to just launch something just to have it. We want to make sure it's a creative and value. Sure. Okay. And then one other question about the Walgreens experience. Beyond the stores that have this physical presence, um, I read that you also did an integration with Walgreens where those beauty advisors in all the stores can sell a digital Birchbox subscription on their clienteling tablets. Yeah. So in all of the beauty differentiation stores, that's um, what they call it, the ones yep. that are more so prestige are more upgraded in beauty. So it's three thousand. Yeah, so we're at 11 physically, um, but yeah, in 3,000 stores we just launched this month, actually, any beauty consultant can sell a subscription um, to a consumer. And one thing that we're really interested in learning and testing there is that, um, again, different than how we do online and digital, is that one of the best places to, best ways to explain the value prep of Birchbox is human-to-human interaction. Like, I I always use this as an example. Whenever I do a talk like this here physically I have where I talk about the casual beauty consumer and what we're about I always have people come up after like oh my gosh I had no idea I'm the casual beauty consumer I would love this I thought it was for my friend who was the beauty obsessed so there's something about a human to human conversation that can really quickly break through that kind of going after a consumer who's not looking for you that we're hoping to leverage in this model of the beauty consultant selling it so that's very exciting and something we're launching and then um, in general we're still kind of playing around with formats so as we grow and kind of we definitely want to go to more stores, we don't just want to roll out the same thing. We want to test. So we're exploring smaller formats that might only sell a subscription or only, for example, kits. Like we do a lot of kits, um, which is kind of bundling of samples into a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so really trying to still test and learn before we roll out um, so we know what works where. Got you. And so one of the things that's really interesting to me about test and learn and especially like so um, – it's complicated because you're you're not making beauty products yet, so you're we actually do. Oh, we have uh, we have our own own brands. Gotcha. Okay, so we have some but own only, brands. Yeah, but only we have a yeah, couple. and and a, a a plurality of of wholesale brands. But then you you amalgamate them into this new product that's the, uh, mm-hmm. called Birchbox. So I exactly. I think of you as a direct to consumer mm-hmm. brand, even though you. Are, you could one could argue you're a wholesaler. Yeah, we're both um, a retailer and have our own product, which yeah. is the subscription. Um, exactly. Uh, but so normally, when a direct, uh, you know, the reason companies do direct con- to consumer is uh, number one, better margins, <laughs> uh, and number two, direct relationship with the customer. So you get all this data that you can use to rapidly evolve and do test and learn and and do all these things. And if you if you were to just sell your boxes to Walgreens and let them sell them to consumer however they choose, you, you'd be lacking that data. You wouldn't know those customers. Um, there'd be a bunch of detriments. Um, and so, you know, frequently you see direct-to-consumer brands, like, struggle when they try to partner or expand with a, a big retailer to get better reach. But the relationship you guys are doing seems much more novel and integrated because you really aren't getting disintermediated from that customer, even though they're meeting you through the Walgreens. Um, and I wonder if that's going to be a, a model we see more. Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely, 
harder to get there, I'd say, yep. but it's the only one we were interested in in sure. the sense that, yeah, if it was, that's what I meant before I said a strategic partnership, that's kind of what I mean when I call it that. It's not just, yeah, we're just going to like, you're going to buy our product and sell it and yeah. see how it does. It's not, ju- it's not just a, a pure reach, I guess. Yeah. It, 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 obviously that's a part of it, but it's how we, how are we influencing together? How are we trying to build something together that is new and different? And how are we both bringing different skill sets to the table, but also sharing learnings, right? So as you referenced data, data, the ability to share both of us to like combine what we've learned and share data has been a critical part of the setup of the partnership so that we have that data flow happening um, between our companies. And it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not just set it and forget it by any means. It's, it's how, because that comes from believing this is a massive, massive opportunity. This is not an opportunity that's like, let's do it in a couple of stores and that's, yeah, sure. you know, like that. I think with, it's a lot of work if you're just doing it in yeah, a couple Yeah, like, stores. right, exactly. Like that, because of our, genu- our belief on both ends that this is a massive opportunity to build this together, that we did a lot of work. I think, as I said on stage, we the conversation started a year before we even launched of, of what this partnership was. And it was a lot of alignment at the top levels of leadership of both companies that we believe it's a huge opportunity. Therefore, this is the type of investment we're going to make. This is the type of information we need to do. This is how much testing and learning um, that needs to happen. That we're, that alignment was critical to make sure that we were doing this in the right way. Got it. And side note for our listeners, Walgreens is based in Chicago. So when Amanda says she's working closely with Walgreens, what it basically means is she was visiting my hometown and never <laughs> dropped me a line once. It's true. It's true. But, but I'm not hurt. I mean, <laughs> I am, but but I'll get over it. Uh, so I want to pivot a little bit. The, uh, the Walgreens experience sounds totally cool. Uh, definitely encourage our listeners to go. Yes, please go it, visit. <laughs> check it out. And, uh, I, I, you know, I do think there's something here in terms of uh, future models for collaboration between digital native brands and traditional wholesalers. So we'll be eager to follow it. And I'm going to encourage you to be super transparent about all those analytics and share them with us. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> no no problems there with some data privacy laws, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I hear that stuff's like just... Uh, minor. S- their suggestions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm a good consultant. Uh, so pivoting to sort of the core Birchbox experience, uh, I feel like there's also been some evolution and some news there. So yeah. what's going on at Birchbox? Yeah, so in the core experience, we're really focused on evolving, our continuing to evolve our product and be innovative in our space um, and designing experience for the casual beauty consumer. And uh, one big tactic we did this year, which was an enabling tactic, was to raise our price for the first time. So we've never raised our price. In nine years, we raised our price um, for the first time, and the the point being, so that we could invest back in our experience and really improve it and continue to innovate. Um, so, talk about a couple of things there. So, there's kind of taking the core experience we have right now and making it better. Everything from the merchandising that's in it to the algorithm and how we match people with products to content. So, for our casual consumer, you can probably imagine education is critical because again, they're just not that familiar with the industry. So, how are we giving them? helping them know what a serum is and why you would use it, right? It's like a baseline of information, having more content in the box. And then how can we evolve the experience of the box to enable not just the discovery piece, but also if I, you know, we're not trying to just make you discover forever. If you find stuff that you love, then we want to help you purchase that. So um, a couple elements there that we're introducing or just about to introduce. One is the ability to swap your box for a full-size item. Um, so, you know, there's a selection that you can pick from, but if I'm like, I don't want to discover new samples this month and I'd like this full size, you can do that. We have, um, also related to that is we have this ability to have add-ons so you can have items shipped for free with your box. So, um, if you want to have items you 
love and discovered, you can have it ship. And then we introduced Swap Your Box for Points, which is rolling out next month to everyone. We did a test around it, um, which people really like. So you, we have loyalty points, as many retailers do, which you can use to buy full-size items on the site. So you could swap. Instead of getting a box that month, you get credit and loyalty points, which you can spend later. Um, and then we also have our customization options we've always had, which is just you can pick a sample that's coming. You can pick a full assortment. So trying to make give the customer choice, right? Say like there's a lot of reasons why you're, you may be in very different points in the journey of discovery versus having found something you love and um, how can we give customers options and how they engage in that subscription experience every month instead of it being kind of one thing. Got it. And so, um, and just so I make sure I understand, these are all sort of proactive experiences. So I get some kind of messaging that, hey, here's the box yes. that's scheduled to come to you this month and I have some option to opt out of getting more samples and instead get points or a full-size yeah, product. exactly. Yeah, and the main experience, if you don't do anything, you'll just get the personalized box. Sure. Everyone just always gets that. With some people, you know, some for some people, the subscription, the benefit of subscription is non-activity, basically, yeah. right? Not Set it and forget it. So yeah. we definitely have a huge portion of our consumers do that, but then we also have people who want more control, more... Um, decision-making in their experience, especially if they may have said, oh, you know, I've discovered a lot of things I like right now. I'd like to take a break from discovery, but I really want to, you know, kind of, it's almost like the layaway concept that's been around forever, right? Lay away some of this uh, money so I can buy that shampoo or mascara that I really liked. Well, one of the um, sort of uh, unpleasant parts of a subscription business uh, is even subscriptions that customers really value, like they're there's this phenomenon of subscription fatigue. Yes, for sure. Um, and so, you know, you could imagine I get a bunch of value out of these samples, but one particular month I haven't tried any of these samples and they're all sitting around my sink and I'm having a guilty moment. Yep. And then I get an email that the next one's coming and I'm like, oh. Yep. Um, and I, I would argue this, like, subscription fatigue has been super challenging in, like, the meal kit space, yes. for example. Yep. Uh, so it seems like some of these amenities are clever ways to kind of combat some of that subscription fatigue and I can get some other utility without turning off my subscription and Absolutely. then, and then, you know, uh, come back to the, the samples when it's more fresh and exciting again. Absolutely. Um, so I, that totally makes sense. I'll be, uh, interested to see how that goes. Uh, the raising prices had to be a non-trivial decision yes. <laughs> to make, uh, uh, you know, obviously the general trend is stuff gets cheaper and there's a couple examples in retail that didn't go that well of raising price. I'm thinking of like a JC Penney, yes. <laughs> for example. Um, so I imagine that you did that with some consideration. Yes. Did you feel like you knew you would lose some customers as a result of raising price, but they, they weren't the right customers and the extra money would give you more resources to do a better experience for your core customer. Yeah. Is that kind of the, yeah, I mean the decision-making was more, less around like, and now's the date we have to raise our price and more around, we fundamentally believe we need to continue to evolve and improve our experience. And we cannot deliver the value we think is demanded by our customers at the price point that we've been at. We can't because other things for us have, like, ship, you know, like shipping is definitely a big part of the price for us. We don't charge extra shipping. It's included. That's gone up every year, right? Like, so it was just more of a reality check of like, we can't like, living in the reality of the world we're in and the prices that they are, we don't feel like we can stand behind our product if we can't innovate and explore anymore. And in order to do that, we need to raise our prices to create. And, and the belief that we can create more value by doing that versus the cost of the of the raising and the prices. Um, but it was definitely, I always describe it as both exciting and terrifying. Sure. For sure, right? Changing your price after nine years. Oh, yeah. Especially as the marketing head who's going to be in charge 
charge of the comms and figuring that was like definitely really scary. And, you know, I think it came from um, at the end of the day, our biggest value and the thing that's going to make us successful is the community that believes in us. And, and that we believed we had that. And because we had that, if we were super, super transparent in our comms, which we were about why we were doing it, it was very upfront about it. We gave them multiple months ahead of time that we were doing it. Um, what we were trying to achieve and knowing it wouldn't be perfect and that they would be on the journey with us. And that's what we found. We actually found amazing response from our community. Listen, they're waiting. You know, they're still like, oh, we're going to see. Yeah. But they were like, we believe in you, Birchbox. We believe you can create more value um, and better experience because you did it one time before, right? We believe that you you can put this money to good use. And we've really found that our um, – we've actually had much lower – we kind of obviously projected out what we thought might happen. And from a churn perspective, so customers leaving the subscription has been much lower yeah. Um, we've almost seen no impact, which is really amazing. And we also, we did some smart things, I'd say, in the price change, a couple of things. One was um, having some legacy pricing. So we have for our ACEs, which are our top customers, our most loyal, they got to keep the $10. And, okay. and part of that was to communicate if, you know, being more transparent as a business, it's like if you spend, like to be an ACE, you have to spend $400 with us in the a year. I'm like, if you can, if you spend that with us, we can afford to give you a $10 box. Yep. Even though we're going to invest more in it, Right. And then for our current customers, we basically provided a slightly lower, we call it legacy pricing. As long as they say a subscriber, they'll continue to have a lower price point than new customers coming in um, to reward their loyalty and say, yes, we've already, you know, you've already given us money. We appreciate that. Here, we're going to give this to you. Um, so trying to do some smart things like that. And then the pricing we introduced was tiered. Um, so again, to communicate the relationship we're trying to have with our consumers, if you subscribe on just the month-to-month -month subscription, your price is higher. If you want, if you commit to 12 months, your price is lower per month. Um, just to, just trying to be upfront and make it as obvious to customers as we can what we, what makes a valuable customer to us and, and what will allow us to invest more in the experience without charging you more. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Uh, in some ways, it's funny. I think of your subscription as analogous to some of the, the membership fees that a retailer charges. So I almost think of it like, the membership fee I pay to Costco, yep. and then that enables me to then buy products, or the membership I pay to Amazon Prime. And uh, coincidentally, like Costco famously successfully raised <laughs> that membership price in the yep. last 18 months, and Amazon has now. Oh, yeah, Amazon has now, Prime. I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah how raised, many times raised it a couple times. Yeah. And so it, it does seem like if you think of it not as the product, but as access to the product. Mm -hmm. Um, like there is some some precedent of that being successful, so it sounds like uh, it's it's at least initially going that way for you, um, and that's a perfect segue to the future. Uh, so um, maybe leverage some of your previous consulting experience <laughs> to put your futurist hat on um, five years from now when we're sitting here at the the uh, twenty twenty five Etel East. Um, how do you feel like the the beauty shopping experience is going? will have evolved. Yeah. I mean, I think probably this comes up in a lot of industries, but just like um, the technology that allows you to like really inter in interact with a product like online in a way that feels physical. So right, we, you know, Birchbox, when we launched, didn't have a lot of these technologies that are emerging where the way to like um, hack the online experience, having some way to sample and test things was to send you some samples in the mail. Yep. But for sure, there's a lot of technology that's evolving now, which is, you know, looking at my face and what does the colors look like on my face or like, I, I just like, it's definitely going to go in that direction of how can sampling online and beauty products be fully digital. Um, I think it's got a long way to go from what I've seen of it actually being 
truly useful, I would say. But I think in five years, I bet there's going to be a whole suite of new technologies and products that are out there that help you really discover and use products that could work for your hair, your skin, et cetera, via these digital interactive AI kind of experiences. Oh, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think like whatever the virtual try-on experience is today, and there's already some evidence that today's virtual try-on experience, I've now seen some data where customers prefer virtual lipstick try-on inside of a beauty store as opposed mm-hmm. to physical try-on yeah. <laughs> because as you you know, just how accurate. I think it's yeah. accuracy is where it's like sure, sure. But even at today's sure. state, it, preference there wise. might be a preference. Yes. And so then, to your point, five years from now, uh, like one can only imagine yeah. how how robust that would be. Especially other, I think, obviously, colors kind yeah. of the first. Like anything so you feel like they could the finally first, nail my foundation color. I you think? think? So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because it's a it's a real challenge at the moment. Spl- uh, nobody sells the splotchy color. I don't. Yeah. Well, I don't we'll, get. We'll work on that. I appreciate it, and uh, that I'd say that's going to be a good place to end. But that's slightly too too long of a good place to end uh, because we didn't really need to talk about my my beauty routine. Um, <laughs> but we have used up all our allotted time. Um, so if uh, listeners have any questions or comments, we'd encourage you to jump on our Facebook page or send us a tweet. Um, as always, this is a great time to jump in iTunes and finally give us that five star review that you've been meaning to do. Um, Amanda, if folks want to find you online, are you on the interweb somewhere? Do you have a, do you use uh, LinkedIn or Twitter? I've been on LinkedIn. Yes. Okay, yeah. cool, LinkedIn cool. The best place. Um, so LinkedIn is the way to go and, uh, we sure appreciate your time. Thanks for being Thank on the you. show. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Until next time. Happy commercing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 